You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. John has, has written a lot of things about Jesus, and if you have your Bible, flip to John chapter 20. It's not the passage I'm going to be teaching, but it's on 907 if you have one of the Bibles we handed out. Just to keep this in the forefront of your mind, the purpose of this book, according to John, the gospel writer, and God himself, as he's inspired John, is found in verse 30 of John chapter 20. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book. But these are written, the ones we're reading, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this idea of belief is so important in John's gospel, and I, in my own study, have gone through and just highlighted uh, every time John uses the word belief or believe. It's so important, and so this is what I'm going to ask you to do today, to continue in your belief, considering your belief in Jesus as the Savior. Not one of the Saviors, but the Savior. We're going to see as John, the gospel writer, talks about John the Baptist, two different people, that today our humility reveals our belief. And so the passage, as a theme, it has the idea of humility. Do you all know what humility is? Think about that for a moment. Andrew Murray, who's a famed scholar, says that humility is a perfect quietness of heart. True humility is not to think low of oneself, but to think rightly, truthfully of yourself. So as I begin to talk to you about humility, and we're going to see how humble John the Baptist was, I want you to think about it this way. Humility is not trying to convince yourself that you are less than who you are. Humility, though, is seeing yourself rightly with respect to who God is. That's true Christian humility. Well, to get you thinking, maybe I could uh, consider the difference between a cat and a dog. Raise your hand if you, if you prefer cats. There'll be church discipline for those of you that prefer cats. Raise your hand if you prefer dogs. Raise your hand if you prefer no, no animal at all. Yes, okay. <laughs> Some of you have animals, and you're raising your hand. Um, here's the difference, and we'll get us thinking a little bit about humility and belief. So the difference between the cat and the dog. The master pets a dog, and the dog wags its tail and thinks, he must be a god. But the master pets his cat, and the cat purrs, shuts his eyes, and thinks, I must be a god. This is sometimes our tendency when good things happen to us, for us to think, I'm so great. John the Baptist has been blessed in many ways. One of the ways he's been blessed by God, and probably the number one way, is that he gets to be the voice telling others, hey, the Messiah has come. John the Baptist is a very popular person at this point in the Gospels. Uh, People have followed him. He's had a large crowd. His ministry, although considered strange by some, has included this uh, regular activity called baptism. And baptism as a part of religious ceremony wasn't unique to John the Baptist. But what John the Baptist did was he, he um, sort of raised 
the level of baptism by immersion for people that were going from being non-Jews to Jews. So people that were outside of God's chosen people to being people that said that they would adhere to the Old Testament, to the, the covenant, and to, uh, to following God and loving God. And so this, this identification as one of God's people happened through this act of baptism by immersion. So this is, this is some of what's going on. But Jesus... Uh, As he comes on the scene, John the Baptist points some of his own followers to Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. We talked about this in weeks past. And so John the Baptist was quite glad to point his own followers towards Jesus, but not all of them left. And John the Baptist still had a pretty significant following at this point we're picking up in the passage. So here we are in John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. So I'll read a few verses and then explain them to you, and then we'll draw some application, and we'll kind of raise our own thinking about the idea of Christian humility. Verse 22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. So they're in, a rur- they're in an urban setting. Now they've gone into a rural setting. That doesn't really matter, but in case you wonder. And he remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. And as a side note, John, the gospel writer says, for John had not yet been put in prison. John eventually is put in prison and beheaded. Verse 25. Now, a discussion arose. um, Let me me stop here for a second. So this is the setting. Uh, There are people being baptized. And uh, this, this, uh, this idea of baptism is so important, and anytime we see it in the Gospels, I want to make mention of it, because it's important even today in the Christian faith. Because baptism is really the first act of humility in the Christian faith. A baptism is our first, supposed to be our first act of obedience once we understand and believe that our sin separates us from God, that God made a way through Jesus Christ. If we place our faith in Jesus, turning away from our sin and turning towards Jesus as Lord, the way we identify ourselves as a Christian to a community of people is baptism. There are some denominations, Christian denominations, that think that you have to be baptized to be saved. We do not preach that because that would mean that you do something to earn your salvation. Now, we believe that salvation is by grace. God's grace is a gift to you alone. But our first act of obedience after faith in Jesus as Lord is baptism. And we believe baptism by immersion because the word baptism actually means to be immersed in water. Now, uh, it requires a lot of humility to be baptized. It it does. It it requires humility to go before a group of people and to to get wet. And to to say, yes, I'm putting aside my... Uh, my authority in my own life and I'm giving authority and submitting to Jesus and I, I'm, I want to be a part of this group of called out ones called Christians. I want, yes, this is what I want to do. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Should you be baptized if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. Baptism is an act of humility. Those of you that are in here that have never been baptized by immersion since placing your faith in Jesus Christ, this is different than like when you were a child getting sprinkled. Uh, That's a wonderful part of your story as your parents dedicated you to the Lord. But in the scriptures, there seems to be this, this move of God in a person's heart. And then the way that they let others know that it happened is they choose to get baptized by immersion. 
Baptism requires humility. It requires you saying, it's not about me, but it's about something God wants to do in the world. Just so you know, next Sunday we're going to be baptizing. We have two people that want to be baptized. If you've never been baptized by immersion since placing your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, then, then this would be a wonderful opportunity for you to be baptized. It's always one of uh, our church's favorite kinds of service when people are getting baptized. Last week we, we saw somebody baptized, in, uh, or two weeks ago, and then next week we'll be doing it also. So it's a good, good thing. So here's baptism is happening. I'm trying to root what we even do with that in, in the, the gospel narrative here. So baptism is happening, but this discussion arises. Look at verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, let me just describe this, what this discussion might have been about. Uh, ceremonial washing. Uh, in the Old Testament law, there were things that they, they had to do. They had to do with physically cleaning themselves that represented a spiritual kind of cleansing as a part of their religious practice. So there's this discussion, probably a fairly heated discussion arose between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew uh, who was another probably religious kind of a person over purification, ceremonial washing, which includes baptism. So they come to John after this discussion. Uh, the, these two groups come to John, and they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Now, who's the person that they're talking about? Yeah, Jesus. Very good. Everybody gets this one. Who's the person that they're talking about? Very good. That's a good churchy answer. Safe bet there. To whom you bore witness. Look. He is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now, what you need to know is that these people are exaggerating reality. They're, they're, they're embittered, for whatever reason, that Jesus is becoming more popular. I mean, John the Baptist had his thing and he had his followers. And no doubt they felt pretty good about their tribe. They felt pretty good about this group of people. And look at Jesus. He comes on the scene. And okay, he may or may not be the Messiah is probably what they're thinking. Uh, we're really unsure. John the Baptist says he is. But, you know, we're not really, really sure. I mean, he, John the Baptist eats locusts and honey. I mean, this guy's a little strange. So maybe he's not exactly right. And look, he's becoming more popular. And look how exaggerated this All are going to him. This could not be true because in the previous passage, it says that John the Baptist was still baptizing people. They've exaggerated this. And so they're trying to get John the Baptist worked up. You ever had somebody do that to you? Like, hey, man, everybody's mad at you. Really? Everybody? Or no one likes you anymore. Everybody's following that guy. And they're not following you anymore, John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist, do you know who you are? You're kind of a big deal. You're talked about in the Old Testament. You're the one sent by God to declare something on behalf of God to the people. And all these people are now starting to go to Jesus for this baptism. Well, here's an opportunity for John the Baptist to say something like, you know what? You're right. I have put in time and energy and passion into this ministry. And look at all these people. Now they're following Jesus and not following me. He could have said that, but does he? Of course not. He is quite content, shall I say, humble. 
he understands that the worst thing that he could do in this moment is to be arrogant and try to take some place that's not his to take. He looks at them and he answers in verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This would be a great verse to memorize. A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He's acknowledging his place in God's redemptive story. Everything that I have is from God. He's humbly standing before these men in the presence of God Almighty near Jesus whose crowd is growing. And he's saying, everything that I have has been given to me by God and I choose to acknowledge that and be okay with that. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I'm not the Messiah. It's interesting that he has to repeat this again to his followers. He has to tell them again, hey guys, take your eyes off of me, put them on Jesus. I've already told you this, but put them on Jesus. I have, over the years in ministry, had people come to me and be very disappointed about something that I've done or that I've said. In fact, there's people, quite frankly, that have left churches I've been a part of because they misunderstood something that I've said, or maybe I did something that was a mistake or whatever. And in the end, the real problem is that they've begun putting their, their eyes on me as a religious leader instead of keeping them firmly placed on Jesus. And I have to humbly say, you know what, take your eyes off of me and put them on Jesus. John the Baptist says, humbly said, take your eyes off of me and put them on Jesus. This has nothing to do with me. This has to do with Jesus. That's humility. That's a really wonderful posture to have as God brings people that you influence. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I understand my place. Verse 29, he gives a little imagery here. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Here's a shorter version you can memorize. Shorter verse you can memorize. He must increase, but I must decrease. Isn't this counterintuitive, especially in our day? I mean, when we talk about humility, what we're really saying is, is we ought to think and behave in a way that's very different than what's promoted in our own culture. John the Baptist has every right to expect people to give him attention, to give him a following. He's really not done anything wrong. And when people try to get him worked up about it, what he humbly does is he says, no, the attention belongs to Jesus. And here's what John the Baptist understands. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is an important thing to understand in Christian living. Your life uh, is, is to, to reflect your deep belief that says that God must increase and I must decrease. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of humility in that. He finds joy, not grudgingly conceding victory, but wholeheartedly he embraces God's will and its supremacy that assigns that, 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 that Jesus is supreme. You know, real Christian humility gladly deflects attention and praise and honor towards God. And you say, well, well, 
I know some people around me that are not humble. I can't wait to tell them this. Well, you know, the scripture also says that God is the one that's going to, to humble proud people. So you don't have to worry about humiliating somebody else, bringing them down to a low. Let God take care of them. But what you ought to worry about is your own heart and whether or not you live with an attitude that says, I must decrease so that God can increase. The Bible says that God will exalt the humble. No need to try to exalt yourself or let everybody know how humble you are or humiliate another person that you feel like is proud or arrogant. You say, well, I want to do that. I want to grow in humility. What do I do? Well, our first inclination would be to place our eyes on ourselves and, and begin to think about ourselves. But, but let me, before we do that, what we ought to do is what John the Gospel writer leads us to do. After this story is over, there's a bit of commentary that John the Gospel writer gives us about who Jesus is. You see, because to grow in humility, as is the case with growing in any area of Christianity, it's best to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on Jesus. In time, what will happen is we will understand who we are and we'll gladly take what God is giving to us. John, the gospel writer, gives this commentary starting in verse 31. So let's read this together. I want you to stand to your feet as we read these words that John says about Jesus And what we know from these words is that John is saying this about Jesus, and it helps us to understand who Jesus is. And mind you, the very first readers of this book would have been reading this not with the information as complete as what we have. They would have been reading this still maybe wondering what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. Is he a great, little bit greater than John the Baptist, or is he something special? And at the end of this passage, John, the gospel writer, is going to say this, for if you believe, you'll have eternal life. If you don't believe, you will have the wrath of God on you. So this is a fairly important thing for us to consider whether or not we believe, can humbly submit ourselves to. And in this passage, anytime it uses the pronoun he, that means Jesus. I'm just going to say the word Jesus because it can get a little tricky because there's lots of he's in here. So verse 31, Jesus who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But Jesus who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony, which is a little bit of a commentary on how many people will reject Jesus as Messiah. Not many people will humbly submit themselves to the truth of the gospel. It's just, that's true in that day and it's true in our day. Verse 33, whoever receives Jesus' testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For Jesus, whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without measure. The God, God the Father, loves God the Son and has given all things into his hand, into God the Son's hands. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever does not obey Jesus shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You may be seated. These are really potent words that help us understand what John the Gospel writer is trying to tell us about who Jesus is. And again, the purpose of the book is so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you may have life. 
that you may believe that you may have life. So if you want life, I beg you, I implore you, I plead with you to believe this and humbly submit yourself to this truth. Jesus is above all. Jesus completely says and does all that God says and does. He only does what God says and does. To believe in Jesus is to believe God. And to not believe in Jesus is to call God a liar. This is how important Jesus is. Now you say, well, why do we need to believe in Jesus? Well, because there's a problem. And the problem is sin. And sin separates us from God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the problem. So God made a way for our sin to be erased. And that is, that is by sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to live and walk on the earth to be a slaughtered lamb who will take away the sins of the world. When Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified, for those of us that have faith in Jesus as Savior, our sin goes to him and his righteousness comes to us. No longer are we separated from God because of our sin, but we are given new life. We become children of God. We go from being enemies of God to becoming children of God. This is good news. It sounds tough to hear maybe, but it's good news. So if in your heart you believe that can be true, you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as Lord. Now listen, it's something more than just Jesus as the guy I want to model my life after. Or Jesus, who I acknowledge as the Son of God. You know, the Bible says that even the demons acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. That's not enough. Surely you wouldn't say that demons are Christians. Belief in Jesus means living with the theme, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase and get glory in my life and through my life. Believing in Jesus means that, that you, you go from, from ruling, your, being the master of your own domain to saying, God, you're the master of my life. Believing in Jesus means worshiping God, not just in song, although that's incredibly important, and gathering with the believers is so important for your growth and spiritual well-being, but worshiping Jesus every day of your life in the good works that he's called you to. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. And for those of you that believe in Jesus, the Bible says you will have eternal life. Now, what does that mean? It's a little difficult to unpack in such a short amount of time. But this idea of eternal life is simply this. Everybody dies. Everybody will stand before Jesus and be judged. For those that have believed in Jesus in this life, they'll stand before Jesus and be judged as righteous. Jesus won't see the sin and said the sin will be erased because it's been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He'll be counted as righteous and will forever spend eternity with God in heaven. Now, more correct way of describing what we oftentimes think of as heaven is the new heaven and new earth, which is the place that will exist in the end that's completely restored. All that's been broken by sin in our world will be made right by God the Father someday. And we, those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, will get to enjoy that place, the new heaven and new earth. That will be for eternity. This life, the life 
where we get to choose whether or not we receive Jesus as Lord is, according to James, like a mist. It's here for a moment and then gone. Isn't that amazing? Whoever does not obey shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him, is what John says here in his gospel. The wrath of God remains on him. What does that mean? That means that someday you'll stand before Jesus and you'll be judged as unrighteous and for eternity you'll pay the just consequence for your sin in a place called hell. We need Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. I beg you today to consider that there are two choices, genuine faith and defiant disobedience. Both of them will be evaluated in the end by Jesus the judge. Whoever believes will have eternal life. Whoever does not obey will have the wrath of God. Do you believe? You say, well, I don't understand everything about the Bible. Well, of course you don't. Neither do I. If you understood everything about God, you would in fact be God and I would worship you. But can you believe that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross because you can't do anything about your sin on your own? You can't be good enough, not on your best day. Will you turn and place your faith in Jesus and begin to follow Christ? Begin to experience a transformation that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ into the kind of person God wants you to be, somebody who's usable by him. Somebody who's glad to say, he must increase, so I must decrease. Hang on to that if you're wrestling with that. And as a side note, it seems like a fairly easy thing considering that what God has done for us to then say, for those that believe and that conversion has happened in their heart, it is time to be baptized, to like publicly declare your belief. For those of you that do believe, I, I want you to consider how important it is to tell others. Isn't that an important message for us to tell others? It's an important message for us to tell others. It's the most important message in the world. And in our world where there's lots of information being passed back and forth between us and other people, why, why wouldn't we make the most central theme of our lives be this message? This, this thing where we get to say to people that if they were to die, would go straight to hell, hey, there is a way for you to be at peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Will they accept you? Most of them won't. That's the reality. But rather than resigning ourselves to like, well, I'm just different than everybody, of going, okay, I'm looking for the places God is working. I'm going to find that place and share Christ in those places. I'm going to share the good news. We ought to look at our schedules and say, how am I organizing my schedule or taking advantage of the events of my week to, to, to be used by God in places, to be able to share with people the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say to me, oh, I don't, I don't need to tell people about Jesus. I just let my life do the witnessing. That makes really no sense, honestly, in the Bible, because the gospel is a declared message. It's a spoken message. 
we ought to be looking at our budgets and, and saying, okay, how am I spending my money? Where, where is my money going that, that, that reflects that I care about whether or not people want to see Jesus? If you think about it that way, you, you wouldn't even hesitate to do what the Bible says in the very first, is to give the first part of your earnings back to God for the work of the church, the work of God. Or, or, or where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your energy? I mean, what areas of your life are you wasting? I mean, I, I have been at, at the hard work in the last few weeks of really, really kind of organizing how, how the places that I receive and, and uh, give information, like on social media, online, and email, and all that kinds of stuff. And that's just this is my own business, but just to give you an example. And I, what I've basically done is I said, where in any of these places am I do I have opportunity to share Christ? And those are the things I want to spend time on because I don't have time for all the rest of it. And what happens is we spend time on this miscellaneous stuff and then we get to the end of the week and we hear a message like, you need to be telling people about Jesus. You go, oh my gosh, I just don't have time. Well, yes, you do. Will you tell others? Will you tell others about this most wonderful, terrifying news? Whoever believes And Jesus has eternal life, but whoever does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And that is beautiful and terrifying news. But it's the gospel. And it's a message that we hold as a a treasure that we can give to others. Do you believe? Will you humbly Submit yourself to this truth. You see, because real Christian humility and being somebody that's humble begins with, first and foremost, humbly submitting yourself to the truth of Scripture. Any other form would be fraudulent. Trying to be humble without first submitting to God would be insincere. Let's think about these things and pray together. Would you bow your head? Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.